0: Hey there. Today's episode of The Mourner's Bench is brought to you by Theolab Media. For years, churches and religious institutions more broadly have taught us to be afraid of difference and have thrived off of us versus them, insider-outsider ideologies that do way more harm than good. Theolab believes a different conversation is necessary. Theolab believes a different way of life is possible. You can learn more by visiting Theolabmedia.com. That's T H E O L A B media.com. What's up, good people? Welcome back to the Mourner's Bench. I'm Brandon T. Maxwell, and I'm here with KT Ricks, David Malcolm Lobeman Jr., and Pastor Samuel Lee White III. Today, we are continuing our journey through Advent, the season before Christmas, where Christians wait and anticipate the birth of eight pound, six ounce newborn baby Jesus. You know, in his golden fleece diapers with his curled up, fat, balled up little fist pawing in the air. <laughs> Today's episode started off being about joy, but we chased a little bit of a rabbit trail and ended up talking about the Virgin Mary, whether or not she actually consented to being the mother of Jesus, and whether or not it's It's appropriate for churches to allow children to make professions of faith before the age of, let's say, 18. But before that, a few quick plugs. We are gearing up for our first ever New Year's Eve altar call extravaganza. On December 31st, we'll be bringing you a full hour of your favorite four podcasters placing people on the mourners bench. It has been a really, really, really long year, and there are a lot of people, places, churches, political parties, ideas, and more that need to repent for all the ways they helped make 2020 the apocalypse we thought only existed in the Left Behind series. We'd love for you to participate in our first annual year-end altar call. And here's how you can do it. Send an email to what's up at theolab.com, letting us know who you want to put on the bench and why. Write as much as you want. I'd say no fewer than three sentences, please. And as an added benefit, we'll be calling some of you to share your Mourner's Bench nominees. Is that what you called it, Malcolm? Is the nominees? We'll be calling some of you to share your nominees live on the Mourner's Bench. So let us know if you're interested by emailing what's up at thetheolab.com. Also, we are gearing up to bring you more great content in 2021. If you are interested in supporting Theolab Media, as we release several new podcasts, videos, and other resources, jump on over to patreon.com slash Theolab Media to support The Mourner's Bench and Theolab's upcoming projects. Every little bit helps. This Thursday, you can listen to the next installment of our Conversation Between Friends series with me and Sam. We're talking about shared work, vocation, building a relationship across differences in sexual orientation and the role of shame in keeping humans silenced and apart it's going to be great. And I would say that even if I wasn't involved. Finally, to stay up to date with the mourners bench and on Theo Lab Media's upcoming projects, go to Theolabmedia.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter. It's the best way to stay up to date and to stay in the know with Theo. All right, that's it. So let's get into it. So... We're approaching the third week of Advent and we're lighting the joy candle. This is one of my favorite candles to light. It's the pink candle. And it's the Sunday where typically, at least in churches that I belong to, we have celebrated the Virgin Mary and the gift that she gave to the world by, I'd I'd learned to say that Mary said yes to being the mother of God, but I think she also said no in some ways. I don't want to impose on Mary anything, but I would say she, Mary had a yes and a no and only Mary knows what the truth of that is. Yeah. We can't impose our own desires and wills on Mary, but that was a tangent.
1: What do we do with that if she said no? Like, that's that's some messed up shit. Like, the rest of the Bible, if you look at the rest of the Bible and like
0: bashing babies' heads against stones and things, I feel like it was probably a no. But <laughs> so we like saying, God,
1: like, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna, God, God did not ask consent. Statement. Like, God did not ask, her, there was no consent. But is God, does God need consent? Yes, absolutely. Clearly not. If you said she said no. You worship Jesus. No, no, no. This is a, one, a different route, but I'm happy to take
0: that road. No, let's not go that No, route. That's actually probably the better conversation. Well,
2: so I've always wondered about that. There's a poem by Denise Levertov that talks called The Annunciation. And it talks about this in a way that allows for Mary to have had a choice. And it says, the engendering spirit did not enter her without consent. God waited. She was free to accept or refuse choice integral to humanness. Aren't there annunciations of one sort or another in most lives? Some unwillingly undertake great destinies, enact them in sullen pride, uncomprehending. More often these moments when roads of light and storm open from darkness in a man or woman are turned away from, in dread, in a wave of weakness, in despair, and with relief. Ordinary lives continue. God does not smite them, but the gates close the pathway vanishes okay i don't know if that means anything well what does it mean to you right what i like about it is that i need for there to have been consent so i need cuz if there's not consent then that then that it fucks really, up everything it really fucks up everything so i'm i'm going to go ahead and go with the consent but what i like about that is we're not making the wrong decision like there's not just one decision that we can make about our lives that there's choices there's consent God can call us to crazy things and we can say no and our life isn't over. So for me, it's that process of discernment, right? So Mary's in a process of discernment. We all are. There will be these offerings, these opportunities, and we might not take them and they'll go away, but something else is going to be there. It it seems less cheesy than if a door closes, a window will open or something like that.
0: Yeah, the thing that's challenging for me about that is, like for all intents and purposes, if you read any sort of biblical criticism or historical approaches to scripture. Like Mary was probably an adolescent.
2: Right. I know. She was 12.
0: She was Jordan's age. Right. Is any 13 year old child. Right. At a place where they can actually consent to that. No. Like regardless of the time period. Right. She was a child. I think for me, I have also leaned into interpretation to scripture that suggests that Mary consented to this. And Mary said, yes, and that's been mostly about me. Yeah. Because in a time where I needed to latch onto God in a particular way, I could not latch onto a God that didn't at least provide the space for Mary to say yes or no. But the more that I think about it and I try to remove my own, like when I'm trying to say, I don't let me not try to put my own sort of need. Let me, let me not put what I need God to be on the text. Let me read the story. She's 13 years old.
1: I mean, but even in saying that, the outrage of a young child bride or a young woman being married and having children and taking care of family is relatively new because, in my own research of my family in history, like this was a part of culture. This is a part of society, which is not excusable. But that outrage is relatively new. Like, if you go back in history, that probably would be closer to the norm. Than it actual- was the norm.
0: It was also normal for women to be the people's property. Correct, correct. So I'm, so I'm, so I'm, correct. I think you're correct. That is a relatively new historical phenomenon. I mean, I, I, yes. And if we're trying to impose some sort of understanding on this particular Sunday and this particular text of what Mary's agency in it was, I think we, even if she said yes, she said yes in the midst of a patriarchal culture that treated her as property correct. that wouldn't right, have given right, her right. a choice anyway. It would yes. have been expected okay. of her based on the culture she was in. mm so let's talk about joy. <laughs> like, like, joy because- damn you. I don't, want, I don't want you to
2: take that. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to take it. I mean, I say all the time, I'm not trying to take anybody's version of Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit away. Like, take, like grab on what you need to to get by. I get it. Just don't ask me to buy into it as well. And I won't ask you to buy into mine. Malcolm, were you getting in there?
1: It's hard to jump in this shit. We talking about child brides and Mary was 14. And that was, that was
3: like you, you might have to pour another cup of this. I, so, so the thought that crossed my mind is so I you know I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and there was this really strong emphasis on like conversion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the time I turned twelve or thirteen, it was like if you hadn't walked down to the front of the church and given your life away, then there's something wrong with you. To what extent does the church recreate Mary's day after day after day? My God. With the way that it asks children to, to give themselves to something that, I mean, like you can't, I don't know. Pressure claim. You're walking a little heavy. Come on. Is, I mean... It, I think I'm not pressing it harder because I'm I'm not sure what I really think of it. I mean, I think about the ways in which that community did nurture me and and care for me and form me in meaningful ways, ways that I still give thanks for. But I do also think that at a certain level, in order to be a part of that community, you had to sign up for something that you could not possibly have understood the implications of fully. And I think everybody in the room understood that. Yeah. I mean, or if they didn't understand that, that's because they were willfully turning their attention away from it. Yeah. As we have this conversation, I, I just think about the ways in which we might create new Marys, right? I mean, how how is the church continuing to make those same mistakes over and over again?
0: I think you're spot on. I'm not one of these people who's like, I'm just outraged at this period. I like, I try to go inside and say, why am I outraged? And I think perhaps that comment, David, for me, helped me get to a different place of reflection. And that I think that we do still do that with children. So if I spent years as a youth pastor in the first place where I was working in youth ministry, we would take our kids on a retreat every year and I was responsible for worship. And in that season in my life, what it meant to lead worship was to make sure that people shouted. That's in the adult church, right? You want to make sure people have some sort of emotional experience inside of the church house. And so we just took that and applied the same exact thing to children. And so we took kids five to 18 on this retreat And every Saturday night, everybody knew that the worship team was about to go in and we would sing until everyone was tore up. And then we would open the doors of the church because the only way we could identify whether or not that retreat was successful is the number of candidates for baptism we brought back. Five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 18-year-olds walking down an aisle to give their life to Jesus based on what? my church was probably the exact same. Like we, we, we celebrated every time a young person gave their life to Christ because that was the age that you needed to do it. That was the age you, you had to say yes. If you, if, if you got beyond high school and you ain't yet walked down the aisle, something was wrong with you or your parents and your parents felt the communal pressure to try to figure out why hasn't your son done this thing that everybody else's child has done? Why hasn't your daughter, your non-gender binary child done? Why hasn't your child done this? And so we have five-year-olds seven-year-olds who signed up to follow the way of Jesus, they have no, I mean,
3: in my 20s, I had no idea what that actually meant. I think one of the reasons why I'm treading lightly on this is because (laughs) going back to the conversation we were just having a minute ago, I signed up six years ago to connect the rest of my life to another person. I did that in my late 20s after years of consideration and prayer and discernment and Practice. I had no idea what I was signing up for, and there's grace in that. So, some of the tension that I'm feeling is that I go back to when I was 12 years old, and when the pastor made me fearful that I'd die in a car accident driving home from church, and my eternal salvation was not secured. I signed up for something that I didn't understand, and and I look back on that and I think, man, was I manipulated in it? Like. Why would we encourage children that young? Like I, I look back and I realize how problematic all of that was. I look back and I say, I, there is no possible way I could have wrapped my brain around what I was signing up for. And grace has attended me in that journey. I think that's where it gets really complicated. I don't want to say that that excuses or sort of makes up for the problematic nature of, of, of what we're talking about. I'm not saying that like that makes it okay, but I am saying I do think that something good and, and beautiful could come out of that. But if Grace
0: attended you on the journey by saying yes, could Grace not have attended you until the point that you could have made a critical choice to say sure. yes? Sure, For what I know of your life, you making a choice in your late 20s to commit to another human is a different type of I'm not sure what I'm doing than asking a child, to sure. walk down the aisle and accept Jesus or sure. asking a child to carry the, the son of God. Like th- those are very different things for me. And I think the question is, how much do we value the grace that we're espousing? If that grace is powerful enough to make up for what they don't understand, for what I didn't understand, can't it be powerful enough to guide me and hold me until the point where I can make a conscious decision? Katie, you and I were talking the other day and we were required to do Eucharist at a table in the midst of a pandemic. And so we socially distanced and washed our hands and did all the things that we should have done in worship, but we live streamed everything. And we I at least forgot that we had to do communion until the 11th hour. And so when the person who was leading the worship service said, "Hey, you doing communion, right? I was like, oh crap, I gotta grab all this other stuff because I ain't got no bread. You had a little high church fit. I did. Cause you were like, no, nah, we, we, we gotta do the bread and the wine. And I said, but how important is that? Everybody can't eat this bread anyway. Everybody can't afford this bread anyway. We've learned to live into a certain narrative and to prioritize and value certain things at certain times. But the beauty of that communion service is it took seriously the fact that we're all scattered about and some people can't afford bread. Before we did the service, yeah. you said, if you take communion away from me, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I, you can't do that. And I wasn't trying to take it away. I was actually trying to make it real, for, at least for me and where I am in my faith. But in the moment, something different happened. And so I guess I'm using that example to ask the question, is it necessary for us to make excuses for the shitty parts of the Bible? And Malcolm, I don't hear you trying to make an excuse. I hear you actually trying to make meaning. But I think the challenge for me is the ways that we make meaning can sometimes give the Bible a pass, give the tradition a pass. And perhaps the more faithful thing in the midst of a pandemic is to say, we ain't got no fucking bread. You gonna get some Cheez-Its, some Skinny Pop, an apple, and some pita bread, because that's what Katie brought.
2: I brought corn tortillas. I can't eat pita bread, you corn, kept saying, but that's all but right. That was, but that was white, white corn. White corn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all white. Yes, you are. You were texting me about it the night before, and, and I was like, I wrestled with that all night. And what I realized was that for the first time in a very long time, I was excited about the table. Because it's it's not gluten, it's yeast. I can't have the yeast. And so even gluten-free bread has yeast in it. So I haven't been able to do communion for like a year and a half now. And there was something about that. I was like, it messed it up because I mentioned it to my mom this morning and she lost her mind. She's like, you can't do that. You have to have the bread. You have to have the cup. But there was something about that that made that communion even more powerful and even more holy and even more connected because everybody was welcome.
0: So I think part of the reason that I hear people value the cup and the bread so much is because what well, everybody's done this for so long across time, right. we've been doing, this is Paul, you enter in a broader tradition, ain't nobody doing that right now. Right. And if okay. they are, they have COVID. Right. What everybody is doing is trying to make meaning with the shit that they got in the house. And for a pastor to give them permission to make that holy and to make that sacred is what was actually needed in the moment. So my curiosity, Sam, to your point from earlier, this is a recent historical phenomenon for us to be like, oh, wow, she was 13 or 14. But do we allow ourselves to make that meaning, to explain that away, to give that a pass? Or is there something beautiful that can come when we actually stop trying to make meaning in the ways that we've been socialized to do so? And we say? Like, what, what does it mean, and I, I don't know if I believe this yet, but what if we were to chase the claim the Christian church has only been able to sustain itself by forcing people to accept it without them being at an age or in a state of mind where a reasonable person would say they consented and that they made the choice aware of what they were doing? I don't think that means that the church goes away. I think it actually may open up a different conversation that allows it to be more faithful.
2: Does that make sense? No. What? Do, what I, I really don't know how to jump in because the reality is that my context is so totally different. Like we don't count numbers. We don't have people walk down the aisle. We are
0: <laughs> so not- No, no, no. Y'all count numbers. It's just them chicks.
2: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have like confirmation for 12 and 13 and 14 year olds, but- You know, if they don't want to join, there's not a lot of pressure, at least in the congregation that I served. And so it's intriguing because I think you lose something there too. So there's, I'm trying to find the place that is somewhere in the middle because I don't have the I don't have the baggage of feeling this pressure to walk down or but confirmation feeling
0: pressure. is not a, is, is confirmation a choice do you sign your child up for that or do they do it because you're a member of that church
2: so here's where Katie Ricks is different than other people I mean for me we invited people who were in seventh and eighth grade or who hadn't gone through confirmation before to go through it and then I gave them a choice and I said this isn't your parents choice I don't need you to join the church this is definitely your choice and for the kids who decided not to join we would honor that and offer them a gift for going the, through this journey and continuing to wrestle you actually uh, had
0: children who said no yes and your community was okay with that yes is that standard for the PCUSA or was that a Katie Ricks thing i
2: don't know the answer to that okay now my child will be joining the church when she goes through confirmation but that's a totally but what if she doesn't want to? No, she doesn't have to. I mean, I'm going to tell her not to listen to this show, but she does. She has the same.
4: <laughs> I, won't send, I won't send it to her and listen
2: to the episode, whatever this is. No, I, I, I do think that it should be a choice, especially hearing you all talk about this pressure that's on, because you have to be able to make the decision on your own.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I do come from a tradition where you walk down the aisle and you give your life to Christ and all that good stuff. You go sit on the mourner's bench. I also came from a family where I wasn't forced. My mom didn't say, get up and go sit on that bench, you know. I actually looked over at my mom at about 9 or 10 years old and said, I want to go. I want to give my life to Christ, you know, I want to do this. I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if I knew what I was saying I wanted to do at that time. I'd like to think that I did. Of course, my journey has been one since then that I have learned a lot more. My eyes have been opened a lot more. But it was at a very early age that I said, I'm making a choice. And this is the choice that I want to make. And my mom at no point on my journey stood in the way of that or said, you're too young to make this choice. I'm not going to let you make it now. Maybe she should have. Even, you know, I think I was 12 years old when I believed that God was calling me to be a preacher. And I told my mom, hey, I think God is calling me to be a preacher. What does a parent do with that when your 12-year-old? comes? She was like, okay, uh, <laughs> maybe we should talk to your pastor, you know, those types of things. But every step along this journey was me saying, this is what I believe I want to do. And having the support of, of my parent to say, okay, let's figure out how we make this happen. To your point, Malcolm, there
0: is a strange grace to that as well. Because I wouldn't say that I was forced to walk down the aisle. I think that I was indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. I think I was groomed. You can't go to a Baptist church in the South for multiple Sundays a year and hear at least 52 times in the year that your soul's damned to hell unless you come and accept Jesus and not want to do that, even if it's a fear-based decision. As conscious as I can be as a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old, I know that I don't want to go to hell. Even if I'm scared shitless, I'm still making a choice to not go to hell because that's what the doctrine is in that particular community. And I guess the grace is, and, the same, and Malcolm, I'm thinking about your marriage, my marriage, all of our marriages, past and present, that the grace is I can walk away. Mm-hmm. Now, I get what Christians say, that this is a bond of holy matrimony. You got to stay together forever. You choose to. Yeah, and I can walk away. If we ever get to the place where this is unloving, if we ever get to the place where we can't love one another well, and we're doing one another more harm than we are bringing joy to one another's lives, let's walk away. And in the Christian church, I guess, the grace is you can walk away. Even if it is a form of indoctrination, you can walk away. And the grace will still attend you on your journey.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think I could take that. I, I mean, I could have an entire show about that because I think that that's, and so that's not where we're going. We're going where the spirit leads. Right. That in my marriage that ended was the hardest piece. For me, the hardest piece of leaving the marriage I was in was breaking the covenant. And I had a therapist tell me, you know, the covenant was broken long ago. This is not, you know, this isn't life-giving for either of you. But for my healing, I had to come to grips with the fact that that grace does attend you, that God desired for me life, that God desired for me freedom, that God desired for me happiness. And that came from leaving. But that took years to figure out. That's what broke me, was realizing that I was going to have to break this covenant that I had made, not just with another person, but with God in the presence of hundreds of people. That is what broke me. Right.
0: If you would have been socialized in a Christian context where they said, once you are confirmed in this denomination, once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's still grace to walk away. There's still grace to have seasons of doubt there's still grace to not want anything to do with any of it. If, if that would have been taught to any of us, you didn't have Hill for and Brimstone, but in the Baptist churches that I went to, if I didn't think that walking away from the church meant eternal damnation for my soul, what other situations that are abusive or not life-giving could I have walked away from if somebody would have taught me that? Next week, we're talking about love. We're talking about what it means for us to learn to love ourselves. So we'll dabble in this a little bit more on the next episode, but this episode took a turn and we're talking about a lot about Mary. That's natural for this Sunday of Advent. We haven't talked at all about joy, <laughs> at least not in the way that I thought we were going to talk about it. But what kind of joy can be found in walking away? What kind of joy? Like, like how much of our lives, our depressions, our anxieties, our angers, our hurts, our frustrations are because... At least, and I'm not trying to force this on anybody. I'm genuinely wrestling. This is not an abstraction for me. Like this is not just sitting in a seminary class, wrestling with an idea in the ether. This is my life. And we talked about it on a past episode with, did the church groom us for Donald Trump? How much bullshit have we learned to put up with? Because we consented to something, perhaps as much as we could have known it then, but we had no business consenting to it. Not at that age, not at that time and I'm at the place in my life where I'm like any faith that requires that sort of blind obedience of a child is not one that I can be a part of yeah let's take a break hey friends we've appreciated your good feedback on our altar call segment it started off as a cheesy idea and your feedback has kept it going here's what we need from you We would love for you to be a part of our first annual year-end altar call. And we just want to laugh with you in real time. So send an email to what's up at thetheolab.com with who you'd like to place on the Mourner's bench and why and share your contact information. We'll email you back and schedule a time to connect and for you to record your very own altar call via phone or Zoom. We can't wait to hear from you and to laugh with you. Talk to you soon. Let's get back into it. We've come yet again to that time in our podcast where we have come to the altar to place a few people on the bench. So the time is come and the hour is nigh. Let us go to the mourner's bench. Confession to make, y'all. I actually got two confessions to make. I want to start by saying that I am placing myself on the mourners'
1: bench this week. Well, you just took one of my people.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did we get to second that?
0: We learned in the first article. This is not a voting process, Katie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Malcolm tried to uh, nominate somebody for the bench. elections for the bench. The front runner for <laughs> today's bench suggests. is Brandon. So after the Thanksgiving episode, I got outed on social media by my cousin, Felicia, who said, y'all will listen to this podcast and listen to Brandon Lyon. He had pumpkin pie last year. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, but she lied to me. She cheated. She told me that it was sweet potato pie because she knew how I felt about sweet potato pie and how I felt about pumpkin pie. And I think I was like, oh, is that sweet potato pie? She was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it wasn't quite a yes, but it wasn't quite a no and my my head heard a yes, and it actually was delicious. My second confession is, I ate
1: stuffing.
2: Like st- not dressing, stuffing.
1: The same black people that made this pot delicious.
0: This pot. is a different black person. Oh, okay, wait no, a minute! Okay. I believe
2: if we listen to the tape, we're going to hear Don't you say it. if the conversation, if the questions between stuffing or dressing, then it's over. There's I no way. I,
1: believe,
0: I mean,
2: it. I made dressing. What? Because of you.
0: You, you made dressing. I mean, you, I
2: couldn't make stuffing because I didn't have a turkey.
0: You made the right choice. So this, was the, this is the thing. So I ate this at a friend's house. We had a Friendsgiving and the person had listened to the podcast episode and they were like, so I already know how you feel about stuffing, but I'm just letting you know, this is different. So it, they didn't put it in a bird, but they used it and it wasn't that stove top. Stove top.
2: I was going to say, <laughs> so you ate stove top? But it was
0: something stove top adjacent, but they put sausage in it. Oh uh, yeah. And so I was like, this ain't stuffing. It ain't in no burden. It has sausage. And it also had like apples and shit in it. It was so
2: good. That's so, the that was the Kamala Harris dressing. Dressing or stuffing.
0: What does Kamala eat? What do Indians eat?
2: She don't dressing.
1: Be, don't 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 do that. Don't you know my wife is Indian. Well then you should be able to tell me. I was gonna say curry. Was it curry dressing? <laughs>
3: <Yeah.
1: laughs> <laughs> now
2: but it had apples, <laughs> celery.
1: Listen. Apples. Would you at white people's
2: No, it was apples? Apples. <laughs>
1: apples in the dress. This
2: person going to yeah.
1: call you. Oh yeah, hell if it's somebody, somebody you, I know. Oh, <laughs> be careful, be careful. Okay, I'll tell them what I gotta say <laughs> when they come. <call. laughs>
0: so I'm placing myself on the bench, one for being my, a hypocrite.
1: I, I wouldn't call it that. You would, uh-huh. I, you you should because you <laughs> just it's and pie. That you So if, if so you so didn't no, call it no, that. no, we had this exactly. episode recently. And you, and you dog pumpkin pie knowing that a year ago- I didn't know. You, ate, you didn't know? I forgot. Yeah, whatever. Because she mm-hmm. told me it was sweet potato. I have no recollection. But she told you after <laughs> the fact that it was pumpkin. She did. And you came, you brought your narrow black ass- a- up in here and dogged Katie for pumpkin pie even though Katie's version of pumpkin pie is much different I, I dogged up a
0: vegan pumpkin pie <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to putting my narrow black ass on the bench I'm putting your white black ass on the bench because you got the vegans thinking we don't like them Katie, Katie got hate mail Katie got, I love the vegan. I love the vegan. Katie got hate mail they said do your friends not know who Tabitha Brown is should I was like, not- don't do me. I got a TikTok. <laughs> Katie is not a real vegan. She's a vegan. She's a vegan. I know, but I have real
2: vegan friends.
0: Oh God. So I just want to say we love you vegans. And I have contemplated veganism for a really long time, but I just don't feel like I'm at the age of consent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Who else is on the bench? Because Sam and me are on the bench. Now we I'm not, not, in the, I'm not. No, I'm you not are. on the bench. You are because you got the vegans sending us hate mail. I
1: didn't do anything that to the you. vegans.
2: Well, Katie? no, you. It was you. Katie. We're gonna have to Katie. go back to the tape.
0: <laughs> Katie, I
1: didn't say anything <laughs> please, about the vegan. Please send us an email and let us know who. Put what was th- it? It was like evaporated almond milk or some shit. C- was- soy, soy. You can't do it. Soy milk.
2: Which isn't even milk. My vegan Damn. friends are gonna <laughs> <laughs> milk. <Yeah>. we are <laughs> Actually, That's I contacted Tabitha say. Brown to see if she would be on the show. She's she she's- hasn't responded. She hasn't responded, <laughs> no. which is not unsurprising.
1: <laughs> I, I have nothing against veganism though, but I just like making I just like being funny.
0: We do do love the vegans But I'm putting Sam's ass on the bench I know I did a little bit too So y'all don't come for me But it was really Sam's fault That it happened So Two asses on the bench Who else?
1: I'm I'm not on the bench No you are You can't take yourself off I didn't put myself on That's why I'm not on there I put you on Anyway, well I'm putting your ass on. You, you on the already bench did. twice. No, I'm double putting you on. <laughs> Let, me <tell> you what. <laughs> Let me think of a reason why. I now. Oh, we'll oh, come yeah. back to you. Are,
2: aren't there like a million reasons why? <laughs> <laughs> we are not gonna do that? Surely we are You
3: just get numb to them after a while. You can't even remember what they are. Mm-mm-mm-mm. What 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 are we talking about now? The reasons to put that your you ass on be- the bench. <laughs>
0: You're numb to me.
3: Everybody's got Stockholm syndrome, you know? You just get used to it after it's like, (laughs) this is true. This is true. Uh,
0: I am so embarrassed. I yep. thought I thought you loved it when I sat in here
1: naked for our puck. <laughs> oh uh, all of a sudden I have another reason to put Brandon on the bench. When we say the words
3: put Brandon's ass on the bench, that's literal his that's really ass nice. is on the bench with nothing in between. Oh, oh my gosh. Them. And that's why we called it the Moner's
2: bitch.
1: I'm definitely getting off this damn bench.
2: I'm gonna let you get off of that because
1: I don't feel comfortable. Who else is on the bench?
2: So I'm gonna put the Boy Scouts of America on the bench.
0: Oh shit. Oh shit.
2: For the over 100,000 reports of sexual abuse. 100. 100, 100,000. More than than the Catholic Catholic. Church. More than the Catholic Church. That is unbelievably inappropriate. Yeah. I mean, and that is the understatement of the year to hide things, to have side investigations and not let people know, to let people move to different districts or whatever they're called to be uh, scoutmasters scout someplace else. It mirrors the church. It mirrors the church. But the challenge is,
0: I mean, what's pissing me off, Katie, okay, they need to stay on the bench for a real long time. because they, They've declared bankruptcy.
2: Right, so they don't have to be responsible.
0: And not because they don't have the money, but because they're scared of how big it's going to become.
2: 100,000 is, yeah. But that's
0: just within the time frame that they've allowed people to say that they were a part of this issue. Shit. why do you go serious? You got to say that shit last, girl. You not, We tied now. I, I took us down the road to Mira. You took us down to Boy Scouts of America. Shit.
1: Who else is on the bench? I want to put fall on the bench. because Fall, uh, fall <laughs> damn it. The season. <laughs> like the season? The season. <laughs> what fall do to you? Fall is so inconsistent. Two days ago, I was freezing. I was standing outside with my dog, at night And like hurry up Hurry up Like I'm about Like I'm turning into ice And today I'm like burning up in the house I don't know what's going on Fall In a t-shirt too, In a t-shirt Fall is too inconsistent I'm putting fall's ass on the bench mm. Until fall gets it together yep. And figure Fall is like a Nope Katie Nope nope. <laughs> nope Nope That's all I'm gonna say I said,
2: nope, nope, nope. I'm going to put my heating, like my HVAC unit on the bench because...
4: (laughs) Honey, you need to put your landlord on the bench.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that house is not insulated. Maybe I should put the lack of insulation on the bench. Does your landlord listen? (laughs) I'm confident she doesn't. Put her on the bench.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When your lease expires, put her ass on the bench. (laughs) What? She said, I put my HVAC unit. No, bitch, go to the core. I
4: <laughs> <laughs> will put my landlord on the bench. The end. HVAC She's- unit is like, what the hell are <laughs> right. The
2: HVAC it was literally 57 degrees upstairs the other night, like inside the house. And that's one thing when you're um, trying to sleep because you're, you know, under yeah. um, covers and stuff. But like- Jordan and I are upstairs working and doing school and it's like 60 degrees up there and we're like shivering. Like I'm, I'm actually looking for gloves for Christmas so that we can not freeze in our, (laughs) because when it gets to like 20 degrees, we're going to be cold as all damn get out. Y'all
0: should get a space heater, girl.
2: Here, so the lease doesn't allow that. <laughs> Does the lease allow
0: her to not have insulation in the house?
1: We're going to put the lease on the bench. No. We're going to put
0: the landlord on the bench. The HVAC we put everybody on the bench. You on the bench. You, you on, on the bench. The bench. Yeah. You everybody's on the bench. Everybody's on the bench. <laughs> the Mortar's Bitch is brought to you by Oprah. <laughs>
2: now that would be fun.
0: Ooh. She said, I'm putting my HVAC on the bench. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, baby, no. Anybody else? You can put
1: Joe Biden on the bench. Why would we put Joe Biden on the bench?
0: Because it seems like his ass ain't going to sit down and make it to, <laughs> make it to the inauguration. inauguration. right? Like, sir, you know, you know, you know what we've been dealing with for the last Correct. four years. Why? with your feeble ass go outside. Feeble. <laughs> his feeble ass went out there playing with the damn
1: dog and broke his whole leg. He did not
4: break it with my hairline. <laughs> my shirt break his And
1: his ankle. He you did know, not break anything. You know black people exaggerate so. everything. <laughs> By the time they was, they was wheeling him out in a full body cast. <laughs>
2: But sit down,
1: Joe. Joe. if you're listening, you can die after the inauguration.
2: No, actually, it can happen before. Like No, it no, can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. After the, Congress elect- voted. No, no, no. If I read it somewhere, you know, somewhere important. Um was it Wikipedia. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the Electoral January, College
1: hasn't voted yet. No,
2: no, 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 but that's not it. You have to wait until after Congress votes. So if after, I think it's January 6th, if Congress votes that the election is official on okay. January 6th and and he drops then he dead, die. then Kamala Harris will be inaugurated oh, well, we, on January 20th.
0: But know, it is December the 8th. We got a long I know. I'm time. just saying,
2: I'm just trying to make you accurate. Now, it's Trump not the inauguration. Look, like, we'll- people- it's yeah. Nancy <laughs> Pelosi then. This is the hugest thing ever. I'm the first president I <laughs> will.
0: Right, well, yeah, he,
1: he would basically just say, I'm not leaving. And
0: he We well, still don't yeah. know.
2: He ain't going to say that now.
0: Well, he's indicating that he may. But Joe Biden, I need you to sit on the mourners' bench. One, because you're doing too much. And two, for your own health and safety. Please yeah. sit down and stop yeah. playing with your dog. You had all them grandchildren in your campaign <laughs> ass. You let had, them throw the ball for the let dog. Let
1: them play the ball with the dog. I wish somebody had recorded. That had to be funny as hell. I know. Uh, I wish they had a recorded him falling. No. You are
2: simultaneously a pastor and like the worst person. I, in <laughs> I don't care.
1: That shit had to be funny. It was, it was terrifying. ass falling.
2: Can you see Jill Biden in one of them good old
1: dresses she got on? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see it.
0: No, I uh, see Secret it. Service probably had a heart attack. He probably gave everybody because because you know his ass fell hard. I bet he did His ass fell flat on his face And it was like Oh shit He had a heart attack Oh no It's just a hairline fracture From throwing ball with the dog
1: How do you have a hairline Osteoporosis (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's put osteoporosis on the bench Vitamin D
3: deficiency he, He is old Your ass is on the bench He's
2: the oldest
1: president To take office He is old So can he honor that By sitting down He should this is really a confinement order, Joe. You haven't done anything wrong. We just want you to stay alive. Just sit. That's why you're on the bench.
0: That is why you are on the bench and Kamala, you're
1: going to be our president.
0: We're going to keep him on the bench until January the 6th and then
1: we're going to let him go.
0: <laughs> Don't <hiss>
1: the ball. <laughs> right. We're going to dig holes in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> go, Joe. Go. <laughs> Y'all are horrible. <laughs> no, no. That was you. So <laughs> That's the man who just made the Y'all are horrible. <laughs> and, like, and invite him. Joe, come. Come, Joe, come. Oh, shit. I
0: got one more thing to put on the bench. I'm putting the Save by the Bell reboot on the bench. I never watched it. Did you already watch the episode? So I'm also putting Peacock television on the bench.
2: They send too many damn emails. They
0: also lie. So they'd be like, sign up completely free. Don't worry, we ain't gonna charge you nothing ever. You watch one episode or something, then they'd be like, you gotta sign up for premium to watch the rest of this series. Mm -mm. I'm Mm -mm. Peacock, you on the bench. So I celebrate you for trying to think about how to bring people of color into the show in a more pronounced way. But the way you did that is by telling a classic trope about black people and brown people that we all poor and ain't got shit. And so you allow Zach Morris to fuck up their lives because Zach Morris is the governor. He messes up the budget and has to close down all the inner city schools. And only because somebody, a black person in a meeting says, hey, you should send them all to Bayside High. And he does that. And then the whole first episode is about how this young lady, this Latina woman, doesn't have the resources to exist there. And it's just so poor and broke, busted and disgusted that she can't survive. And all the white kids are rich and have money. Why can't you just like Lark Voorhees was in the show. Why couldn't you just have rich black kids or like not even rich, but similarly situated black kids in the same economic context? Why you got to have them all be poor?
1: I always wondered, are there not people of color in the reading room when they're doing these things? Like nobody Mm -hmm. says, hey, I see a problem with this script. They didn't let Lark Voorhees come back. A.C. Slater was in... Okay. Uh...
0: And he has too much Botox in this, honey. His face (laughs) looks so plastic. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. New episodes are available every Tuesday and Thursday. To keep up with The Mourner's Bench, just hit that subscribe button at the top of the page. And you know the drill. If you happen to be listening in Apple Podcasts, please rate and review The Mourner's Bench. We appreciate those of you who have already rated the podcast and those of you who have also reviewed the podcast. If you only rated it, two us a solid. Go on back into Apple Podcasts and also leave a review. We'll see you Thursday. Peace up. Hey, town down. Am I the only one who dances to the theme song?